Hi, I'm Jeff Miller. I'm Anthony Navarro, and welcome to Talk Out Loud, where we share the LGBTQIA narrative one story at a time. On this episode of Talk Out Loud, we're here with Elise D'Alessandro Santiago. Elise is a Midwest plus-size fashion blogger, LGBTQ influencer, writer, designer, and professional speaker based in Cleveland, Ohio. Growing up, she was inspired by her business-savvy mother and drawn to gender studies in fashion. After leaving Ohio, she made her way to the big city, all the way to Chicago, where for the first time, she met other queer people like her. On the outside, her style displayed a strong, confident woman, but underneath that was a timid personality wanting love. Then one day, while crossing a busy intersection, something happened that would forever change her life. From that moment on, she would realize that she was capable of anything. Let's hear Elise's story. Good afternoon, Elise. We are so happy to have you here with us here on Talk Out Loud. How are you doing today? I'm so great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. You are in the Cleveland area, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. I'm in Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> Go Buckeyes. <laughs> Not in this house, but yeah, oh, no, in general. <laughs> yeah, my, my husband is an Alabama fan, so he was very oh. happy on uh, Monday. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I'm glad you got to have that celebration in your home. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so did you grow up in Cleveland? Yes, I grew up in the Cleveland area in a suburb in between Akron and Cleveland. And it was kind of a smaller suburb, pretty conservative. And it was definitely an interesting place to grow up. I couldn't wait to get out by the time I turned 18 for sure. But it was an interesting place to grow up. When you say uh, you couldn't wait to, was there somewhere that was calling you that you were like, ah, I want to go to here or something that kind of had captivated your eye or anything like that? In terms of places that captivated my eye, I really wanted to go to a big city. If there's anything that I realized from growing up in a suburb, it was, it was that I wasn't really being exposed to enough culture. I was kind of... Oh, I remember first identifying like as a feminist in like the fourth grade and like really just challenging. I remember I had an English teacher who made us watch Family Guy like in school and I was like, this is sexist. And I, re- I was just like that kid. And so, you know, not that like <laughs> I couldn't challenge the beliefs of my smaller town, but I was destined, I think, to find uh, more like-minded people in a bigger city. So I applied to different colleges um, in LA. I looked in New York, Philadelphia, Boston, and I ultimately ended up in Chicago. Ah, Chicago. That's a special yes, place in our heart. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just out of curiosity, was your mother a, a strong role in your life growing up? As oh, far as, uh, absolutely. Being <laughs> yeah, my mom is like, she has such a strong personality, you know, coming from a 100% Italian family that, you know, the the mom is 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 really the, the head of the family in so many ways. And my mom was such a strong businesswoman. My dad actually recruited her to work for the company that they both worked for in the 80s. And my mom was like a top salesman and she was one of the only females like in that job. So I grew up seeing my mom Um, you know, start businesses. And she was a personal Mm -hmm. shopper at one point, which was cool. And I just always saw my mom, you know, show me that like, there was nothing that she couldn't do. And at the same time, she showed me that and also had an amazing closet. I was constantly (laughs) going... (laughs) Going in there, stealing her boots and her earrings. And now some of them, you know, we 
I grew up to wear the same size shoe as her. So I have some of her boots that I remember going into her closet as a kid and wearing. I have them now. So, you know, she was just, she was everything to me because, and I I mean, I love my dad and have a great relationship with him. But in terms of modeling, being a strong woman, that was definitely my mom. Yeah. Elise, I totally like connect with you on that. I grew up in that big Italian family, yeah. <laughs> 100%, right? Uh, 100% Italian. Yeah. And I, there were like strong women all around me. And I feel like Grant from like great grandma who was an mm-hmm. entrepreneur and yep. a businesswoman to my grandma to, you know, mom and aunts. And it just, there's something I think that happens when you have a strong female presence in your life that mm-hmm. influences you just a little bit differently. I feel like if I look back, I there's so many times where I see like today where I'm in sort of like a maybe like a, a situation in business where I'm maybe not sure how to handle it. And I like pause and I think, how would my grandma have handled this? Mm-hmm. Or what would her thought process been? Right. And I think it just and also then, you know, having men, you know, in my life too, just seeing like the difference and how they handle things when it comes to work and, you know, business and everything. So definitely relate with you on that. I, I do have a question though. I, sure. You know, thinking about you growing up in sort of a, a smaller town, having your mom being this entrepreneur or, you know, businesswoman, wh- how was that perceived by the people in your town? I remember the first time I went to a friend's house and her mom was there when we got off the bus and she was baking cookies. And I was like, I didn't think this was a way that people actually grew up. Like, I just remember being like, this is so weird. And it's not that like me and my mom didn't bake cookies, but like her life didn't revolve around solely like taking care of me. She had a lot, that was one of the many hats that she wore. And so I remember thinking that that was so strange. And a lot of my friends, their moms didn't work and they had more Mm -hmm. like, you know, true, I guess, traditional households. But for me, I feel like I got really close to my older sister. You know, I went to different summer camps. Uh, I did lots of after school activities and my parents, I never felt like my parents weren't there because they were working. I just felt like, I grew up seeing like that that's what you do. Like you work, you work hard, you play hard. And, and yeah, and my mom did it all like, you know, looking glamorous and, you know, it's funny because I went to my mom's house last night and she was showing me how to cook some different things, you know, being at home and being quarantined. I'm like, I got to like mix it up a little bit. And so I went to my mom's house literally yesterday and she was like, you know what? If I was dead, I'd still help you. And that, that literally is such an Italian mom thing to say. If I was dead, I'd still be helping you. And it's true. Like, that's just how she is. So very, very giving of herself. And I I never felt like she wasn't around. She was always Mm -hmm. there, but yet she was working and she was, you know, literally planning. She worked for the American Diabetes Association, planning these like huge fundraising events. And I got to go to them and, and see all that. And it was just so cool. So she was such a great role model. Yeah, that's so it's, great. And it's interesting knowing you today that mm-hmm. uh, looking at who you are as a person and just your your talent with, with fashion and how you use that in your own life, I can mm-hmm. only think that, her, that, that there was a bit of uh, an exposure to that from your mom that you were able to then celebrate in your own life. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, uh, you know, by nature, I'm a shy person. I'm an introvert by nature, but my mom is an extreme and extrovert. And so mm-hmm. at 
first, when I was growing up, like she didn't really understand like what to do with a shy child. It just didn't make sense to her. And so I think I learned a lot about like how to be more of a socialized extrovert for my mom. And I think I would have, you know, there are still times in this job as an influencer where I'm like, I need a breath. I need to get away, you know, because it is draining. But, you know, there are things that I learned from her about, you know, how to be extroverted and how to be in a, you know, she walks into a room. Networking is her favorite thing. So, you know, quarantine Mm. is killing her. She would walk into a room and be like, and feel like energized. I walk into a room of people and I'm like, I'm a little nervous. So, you know, I think it's, we can learn from each other in that way for sure. But yeah, she's extremely extroverted and I, I'm not by nature, which usually surprises a lot of people. Yeah. I think it's really important to identify with like that, those feelings with because sometimes when we don't know what's wrong with us mm-hmm. or, or, or let's say, or something doesn't feel right. So it's like, what's going on inside me. It's almost like, well, you know, that owner, like, you know, when we get a car, there's an owner's manual and there's a dashboard right. that tells us. Right. Yeah. And, um, and I remember finally realizing that because people would say to me, Oh, you're so extroverted, but I I'm kind of like 50, 50. Mm-hmm. Right. So like if, if I don't get a little bit of both, like I remember when, when Anthony and I still had, we had a farm in Michigan and we were living in Chicago back and forth. And I remember when I would leave to go to the farm, I felt so good. But then when I leave to come back to the city of Chicago, I felt so good too. Right. And, and now we, our lives have changed and we no longer have the farm. And I really have to make space for like what I would call that farm time, if you know, for lack of a yeah, better Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> so, that solitude. I totally feel that. You yeah. got to recharge. And that's part of self-care, especially, you know, now in 2021, it's so important to be able to know like what you need and listen to your body's cues. And even though yeah. you're at home, that does that mean that you're alone or that you're relaxing or that you're taking that time? No, not necessarily. So I think that's great that I, I like that. I'm going to use that farm time. <laughs> it's all yours. And what I'd also like, my language of the heart that you used is, is solitude. Uh-huh. And there's a big difference between solitude and isolation, right? Exactly, yeah. And um, and that's another thing that I've had to realize is like, am I isolating or am I really doing self-care and doing solitude? Right. So yeah, yeah. We're on the, we're definitely on the same page I here. love that. Maybe that's a result of, you know, growing up in these big, loud families. <laughs> 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 <to> escape. <laughs> yeah. So, so you leave for, for Chicago. Yes. So I left um, at 18 to go to Loyola University, Chicago, and I'm sure you all know that they have two campuses. So I lived in Rogers Park, which is one of the most ethnically diverse neighborhoods in all of the country. It's the second most languages spoken in any neighborhood in the whole United States. And I know all that because I was a tour guide at Loyola, Chicago. So I knew all (laughs) the facts and figures and I loved my school and I was so excited to talk about it. And I was a double major in gender studies and journalism. Gender studies was based on the Rogers Park campus. So I lived there and did half my classes there. And journalism was in the School of Communication, which is right downtown on Magnificent Mile. So I did half my Mm -hmm. classes there. And so it was really like the best of both worlds because Rogers Park has like a great kind of neighborhood feel, lots of culture. And then obviously, like, I remember the first time I went to class and then like went to H&M and I was like, this is so cool. You know, like, (laughs) like, we had like one gap in my town and that was like the coolest thing, you know, (laughs) like there was like, so going and being able to go to class and go shopping, like that was just not something that I ever really thought possible. It seems so silly now, but at the time it was huge. And to be able to take public transportation places and, and just, it really just opened my eyes to a whole different world. Yeah. That's a big, that's a big difference between, (laughs) uh, you know, coming from a small, you know, town to, Mm -hmm. you know, being sort of in the city that way. And Rogers Park, like you said, I mean, that literally, if you want culture and diversity, Mm -hmm. there's no other place to go in Chicago to kind of 
exactly. get everything in one place. Yeah. I'm curious. So you said that you were a double major, uh, journalism mm-hmm. and gender studies. Yes. What? So they seem, so I like, I'm, you know, as I'm sitting here, I'm kind of like putting the two together on how <laughs> they could work together. How did you get to the place where you found that those were the the majors that you wanted to study? Well, I, I had always had an interest in gender studies. Like I said, as soon as I discovered the gender studies section at the library, which was like in the fourth grade, I was like reading all these books about gender studies. And I always knew that I was going to study that because it was something that really interested me. At the time it was called women's studies. And now they've since expanded mm. it to be changed to gender studies. So the, like my senior year, they changed it to gender studies. And I was like, yes, this is what my degree gets to say. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is more exciting for me than just women's studies. But yeah, that was always something that interests me, but I knew that it would be not as practical of a career. So I started when I was in high school writing an opinion column for the newspaper. I was the opinions and commentary editor of the newspaper. Imagine that. And um, <laughs> and I was always writing about feminism and, and gender issues. And so it kind of just made sense to do those two majors together because, you know, I wrote about like a book review on the feminine mystique and what it meant in, you know, the early 2000s and all of this stuff, you know, so it it made sense to me. I really thought like, okay, I'm going to write about, you know, women's issues. That's what I'm going to be a journalist. That's what I'm going to do. And then fashion was just really, really pulling me. So when I was writing articles for the paper at in college, I was going to Chicago Fashion Week. I was mm. interviewing designers. I did an internship with a television reporter. And I remember the first time we I helped her with an article on perfume. And she was like, okay, well, these are beauty products. We can't send them back. So do you want one? And I was like, this is the coolest job ever. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, I want YSL perfume for free, you know? So, yeah. so I was really being torn in both directions. And I really just realized like, you know, you don't have to necessarily, you can write about fashion from an informed, like gender inclusive perspective. Like you don't have to really box yourself in. And so I kind of just was like, these are the things I like to do and I'm going to study both of them. And I think having both perspectives has been really helpful in my career. So yeah, I was kind of like, I'm going to be a double major and a minor. I'm not doing anything that's just for fun. I want it all to count for something at the end of the day. So I was an art Mm. studio art minor and that's where I first learned jewelry making, which would lead Mm. eventually to what became ready to stare. So that all totally makes sense. Like like looking at, like looking now, like at where you're at, like that, that definitely, I can see how that works. So I know myself in college, I took, I think, so I can't remember if it was under women's studies or, so I went to DePaul in Mm -hmm. uh, Chicago and I can't remember if it was women's studies or if it had already, the department had already be renamed uh, to gender studies. And I did, I took quite a few different classes as part of my electives. So no, I didn't, you know, do it as a major or anything, but I remember like some of, a lot of those classes were sort of the first time I had a more in-depth conversation about gender and sexuality mm-hmm. and uh, queer history and queer theory. Did you have any sort of like the same similar experiences with some of the classes that you were taking? Absolutely. The nice thing about the gender studies major at Loyola is that it was all interdisciplinary. So it was like women in religion and women in politics, psychology of women. But my absolute 
favorite class was queer theory. And I remember showing up to class and the teacher or the professor was this queer Italian woman who looked a lot like Lady Gaga, honestly. And that was like around like the Just Dance period. So, uh, you know, we were, I was like, oh my God, she looks like Lady Gaga. She's so beautiful. And she had uh, two partners. She had a male identified partner and a female identified partner. And she really, I remember the very first day she drew a line on the board and said, sexuality is a spectrum and it's fluid and how you identify right now is not how you may identify in the future or in the past and that can change your sexuality can change and it's not just you're 100% gay 100% uh, straight or you're 50 50 that's not how sexuality works and my mind in that moment was like like blown Mm -hmm. I was like that makes a lot of sense. And no one had ever explained it to me that way. So even though it was an academic class, I was really able to be like, okay, my sexuality is fluid. I never felt 100% straight, but I knew I wasn't I knew I had attraction to all genders. So I was like, I think that my sexuality is fluid. And so that was the moment where I started identifying just personally as fluid. I think outwardly, you know, I was still you know, so self-conscious and afraid of being judged and didn't really know what it meant to be fluid, but I understood that I was, if that makes sense. The epiphany that sometimes when someone gives you words to feelings Mm -hmm. that you've had, that is such a gift. And that's something that, you know, sometimes you have to go out and explore, you know, the journey of life to have those encounters. And I remember that class was so interesting because we would have extra credit assignments. It was like, you could either go to Jackhammer or you could <laughs> write a paper about this, about Paris is burning. And I would be like, oh, I'm going to watch Paris is burning and write a paper. But, you know, I, I got to listen to the people who their extra credit was going to Jack. I mean, it was really interesting that like that was a class out of Catholic school. I was like, this is interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and just a little backstory because Anthony and I are like, you know, we, 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 uh, we're being from Chicago. Jack Hammer's uh, on the north side, uh, just north of Andersonville, which is a, which is a couple different queer communities in, in Chicago. But Jack Hammer is definitely an experience. Uh, <laughs> and, and yeah, so I'll just leave it at that. But yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it was really, we read some really interesting books and I remember being like, I can't believe I'm like reading about fisting for school. This is so weird. Mm. But you know, I'm, I was so glad that I was exposed to that because that is what I wanted. I wanted to understand everything about sexuality and coming from, you know, a Catholic Italian family, like it wasn't, sex wasn't talked about. So I just had no idea. So I'll take that information in wherever it comes from. (laughs) Right. And and you know what, I'm going to tell you something just because we're talking about, this is a really interesting conversation, but is it, I have learned that just because I, it doesn't do something for me, like that, like to just to kind of like sit on the sidelines and listen to people talk about their different, you know, whether it's fetishes or whatever uh-huh. it is or sexual and to be like, oh, okay, like just be neutral and just to listen to understand. And yeah. it's, it's actually really allowed me to connect with people in different communities, specifically like the leather community or, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just using an example where I'm like, oh, I see what's happening here. There's an exchange of brotherly love or whatever right. for men and, you know, and there's also women as well. I'm really glad that I, allowed myself to, to to sit and get to know those people and to, to to understand and to see how the love is taking place in that community, if that makes any sense. Yes. But, yeah. yeah. I think just see, almost normalizing that people, yeah. th- 
that the way people have sex and the way people experience sexual pleasure is different. That yeah. class like really normalized it for me. So that was really helpful. I think, you know, it helped me to be more open-minded when I encountered people who did have, you know, different sexual interests than I did. So yeah, it was helpful. Yeah. I, I feel like what it does is it's sort of like, uh, again, growing up in like a Catholic Italian family, mm-hmm. you know, same thing. You didn't talk about sex. So it's, right. so what it does is it sort of like takes the veil off mm-hmm. or like takes the mystery out of like what other people are are doing or yeah. what that that practice is and then you're just like oh it it does it totally normalizes it and then instead of like looking at that person for for what it is that they're you know quote unquote into you're mm-hmm. really just looking at them as a person and then you're able to connect with them on a, you know that human level so exactly, i think yes. i think that that's really important and i think it's something like i'm just thinking like you know, high school, like health class, like when you're, t- you know, yeah. t- right. Like how horrible was that? Where you right. just like, I could just remember like those conversations and I, there's nothing healthy about that. And right. I think uh, if the we could be- football teacher, you know, right. the football coach, I mean. Right. That's yeah. exactly who it was mm-hmm. for me, yep. you know? And I think, you know, being able to have those conversations just sort of takes the mystery out of everything and just allows you to sort of see, oh, this is what it is. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's yeah. that. Right. <laughs> Elise, as you're having these experiences, I don't ever, ever want to assume anything. So we talk about, you mentioned you felt gender fluid at this time is what you identified with. Was there a, like, you know, you go home for the holidays and it's like, well, I got an announcement to make or was there, or hey, are you dating anybody or any of those kind of things? <laughs> that, that experience did not come until later. It's, I was a, maybe a junior in college when I had my queer theory class and I didn't come out to my mom until I was like about 23 and that was an accident. I never really planned to come out to my parents because I was still kind of really processing everything myself, but uh, my mom had come to visit me in Chicago and which she often did if I told her I had a cold she would sometimes just pop up six hour drive (laughs) no problem you know so my mom was visiting me and you know moms always know and she was like what's wrong what are you upset about and I was you know I had the time I had a crush on this girl and you know I that's what I was upset about and so you know my mom said what are you who are you upset about and I was like oh well her name is and without skipping a beat my mom was like well no one hurts my baby and And, you know, she just went right into full mom protection mode. And that was everything I needed in that moment. So I didn't have that fear and anticipation of coming out because I I came out by accident. And then my mom just told my dad. (laughs) And so I never had to come out to my, come out to either one of them really because I came out by accident. And so, you know, she was respectful. She knew, you know, I had boyfriends after that experience and, you know, she would ask who, who are you dating? You know, and, and she would ask questions, but she wouldn't assume gender, which I really appreciated, which, you know, is surprising for someone in her generation and from her cultural background to not be like, uh, you know, I thought growing up, okay, if I don't marry an Italian man, I'm going to be in trouble and let alone, you know, marrying, you know, a black trans man, which is what I did, you know? So, um, but yeah, my parents have been so, so, so uh, accepting and I'm, I feel really lucky that, that they were open-minded enough um, to just be like, you know, my dad said, I just want you to be happy. And like, those yeah. are, that's all I ever wanted to hear. You know, I just want you to be happy. So what do you think, Elise, is the reason why they were so accepting? So when I was growing up, and if you follow me, I recently shared this experience on my channel, but when I was growing up, we had a 
close neighbor and they lived right across the street and their son went to New York City to go dance in the New York City Ballet and went to, you know, the American Academy for the Ballet. And when he came back, he came out to his parents as gay and he was 15 and I was eight. And some of their friends turned their back on on them. And my mom was like, no way. Like, we love Jordan this changes nothing. We we stand by his parents and and he's gay and he's allowed to love who he loves. And I remember at eight, so that was the first experience I had with anyone being gay or coming out. And it was a positive experience. You know, I saw him being loved by his own parents. I saw him being loved by my parents. And so that plant, even though at eight, you know, some people are like, oh, I always knew I was gay. I didn't. Mm-hmm. So for me, that planted the seed, I think, in my subconscious that when I did accidentally come out to my mom, you know, so many years later, I kind of knew how she would react, even though it was, it was an accident. I knew that she was accepting of Jordan. And I saw that in her, in her in so many years before. And, and I think that that prepared her and modeled behavior for her to how you should react when, you're, when your child comes out yeah. as, as gay. So, or LGBTQ. Yeah. I'm really grateful that your mom was able to be there because I, I honestly sometimes forget that my parents also, when people ask, you know, when they meet that they, they come out to the fact mm-hmm. that they have, you know, they have a son-in-law, you know, right. and that, that they have lost friends, you know, mm-hmm. and that, but we, when we see that, how we can all lift each other up as a community, I'm, I'm grateful that your, your mom was able to be there for Jordan's parents. What I, what I want to talk about though, also is, is that you mentioned how you had the support of your parents, but sometimes, you know, there's a journey of self-acceptance as well too. Mm-hmm. Uh, can we talk about what that was like for you a little bit and in, in any, you know, different ways that that's been in your life? Yeah. I mean, if you asked me what my two biggest fears were as a kid, I would say one, losing my luggage, which just always terrified me for some reason that I was going to lose my things. And the other one was never finding love. And there was just something about me as a person that I didn't feel was lovable. And I don't know, you know, where, I mean, we could dive deep into where that feeling comes from. You know, I was a bigger kid. I was not, you know, the <laughs> developed earlier than everybody else. And so I was so desperate for the love and affection from the kids my age and I wasn't really getting it. And so as I, as I grew up, you know, I started, I think when, you know, reasonable uh, or childhood reasoning would say, okay, there's something wrong with me, right? I would like these kids to like me and invite me places and and maybe, you know, want to take me to a dance. They're not, I'm the problem, you know? And so I kind of had that I'm the problem attitude. And what I saw as easiest as the path of least resistance to validation and attention was dating cis men. And I realized that that was easier because it was so low risk. It wasn't really what I wanted. The stakes were not so high. So my self-esteem being so low, I was just like, I just want attention or I want to be there for for anyone. I just want someone to love me. I just want someone to love me. And as I went on my self-love journey, I really realized that, you know, the love, I need to love myself first and foremost, and then I will allow love in from from the outside. And by going, I, I don't think if I would have learned to love my body and learned to love my 
all my quirks and my shyness and embrace everything about who I am, I don't think I would have found love because I had to go on that journey. And I definitely don't think if I wouldn't have gone on that journey, I would have fully come out. I think I would have just sat with that knowledge that yes, I think my sexuality is fluid, but it's really hard to come out (laughs) in your late twenties and start trying to to date other genders. It's really hard. Um, It was so, I remember distinctly switching my Tinder from, from men to women. And I was like, Oh, I'm getting like all these matches to like, two a week? What? I was getting like 20 in a day when I, you know, and and it feels like, is it me? Is it me? Uh, Is it the problem? And you really have to have a solid, you know, foundation of self-love to really, for me to really come out. I needed that foundation to be like, no, it's not you. Maybe there's just less women in the area, you know, (laughs) like (laughs) use logic girl. Like, so yeah. yeah. (laughs) Right. And it's, it's interesting with your journey in self-acceptance is that I find that there's a couple of different things that, that I'm hearing in your story. I'm hearing that you, you, got alignment with mm-hmm. who you are yes. and so when we get alignment then those things come into our life like it's our destiny or mm-hmm. whatever whatever you know your word is to, to call that identifies that rings true to your heart but to the fact that if i have self-acceptance and and i'm out there dating and i start to enter the dating pool and i'm not looking for someone to give me that then it can't be taken away from me does that make mm-hmm. sense yes absolutely yeah hearing you know sort of this journey that you've been on if anyone's listening right now, could and maybe they're sort of in sort of those early stages of trying to figure out, you know, that self-acceptance path, could you give any like advice or any tips or share with the listeners on how you were able to uh, to go on that journey? Yeah, for me, I started my self-love journey on the outside first. I think the thing that I received the most validation for was my looks. And so it was easiest to start there. And so I, you know, really started by like, I had a friend, um, I had moved from Chicago to Atlanta and I was running ready to stare, which I'm sure we'll get into more. And, you know, she told me, she was like, you know, you are your customers, you're selling these amazing products, but no one knows who you are behind the scenes. And also like, and I was like, who cares? Like, no one cares about me. Like they want to buy my products that I'm making. And, and, and she was like, you are your customer. I challenge you to take one selfie a week. And I was like, mm-hmm. no way. I'm mm-hmm. not going to take any selfies. Like no one cares about me, but she was like, do it. She held me accountable to it. And that process really changed my life because I was able to see that there that I was worthy of being seen. That's what I mm. had to learn is that I deserve to be in front of the camera. People did want to see me. And at the end of the day, I wanted to see myself. And so that process, that's where I started. And then I had to go inward and I had to tackle all of those feelings of you're not worthy of love and there's you're too emotional. All of those lies that I had told myself for years and years and years about why I wasn't good enough, then I tackled those. And having that foundation of, you know, you feel good about the way you look, you can feel good about the way that you are and who you are. And so I always go back to, yeah, your selfies, they're not selfish. They have, they have a purpose and many of us, you know, we need them. We, there's nothing wrong with, with finding our own beauty. Um, I think that's so important, especially when you exist outside of the beauty norm, 
you want to be able to look in the mirror and say like, yeah, I deserve to be yeah. seen and, and feel beautiful just like anyone else. So. Yeah. And represented as well, yeah, you know, exactly. definitely you talk about the beauty norm and that, that's, like, yes. I think strongly about that. And, uh, and, and literally for those who are listening, maybe have not met at least before, you know, I, I kind of use this as the, uh, is the way with social media, do I feel better or do I feel worse after looking at someone's, mm-hmm. you know, and I always, I, I walk away from your, your content and I just brimming with a smile on my face. Oh, thank it, you. Yeah. That's the goal. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what I want you to feel. You know, I want you to ready to stare uh, is really all about getting people to think, getting people to feel something. And, you know, it was inspired by, you know, one of my own experiences. If I can go tell that story. Yeah. Okay. Please. This is important. So yeah, I was living in Chicago And, you know, growing up with my mom having a pretty loud fashion sense, I had a really loud fashion sense, but a really shy personality about it. So I would always dress really loud and out there, but not, I was like, why are you looking at me? Who cares about me? Like it was, it really was kind of a mismatch because my outfits said bold, but my personality said timid. Um, And so I was crossing um, this, the six corners in uh, Chicago, which is, you know, is like a huge intersection. And I had this really short uh, orange, neon orange sweater dress on and bright blue wedges. And I felt so good about this outfit. And for those of you who are listening, who don't know what I look like, I am plus size, about a size 20. At the time I was probably like a six 16, 18, but I've always been larger bodied. Uh, so I was crossing the street in this outfit and someone rolled down their window and yelled, hey, fat girl, stop trying to look skinny. And I just remember that experience so distinctly because I remember thinking, stop trying to look skinny. Oh, you're saying that because I am plus size that I can't be confident. You're saying that confidence and wearing what you want is reserved for only people who meet the beauty norm. And I was like, that's not true. And I'm going to do something about that. And so I was, you know, 23, 24 years old. And I was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do something. And so I really wanted to start a personal style blog. That was always my dream, but I was at that point, way too timid and not comfortable in front of the camera. I had the style, I had the vision, I had the drive, I had the passion, but I didn't have the confidence. Uh, So I started a jewelry line instead. And so I started making big, bold earrings and body chains for all sizes. I made these crazy plastic dinosaur earrings. Um, and so I just made really bold things. And I was like, you know, I'm going to change who's allowed to be a part of the conversation. I'm going to make fashion more inclusive. And I used a lot of models of color and I used models of all genders, you know, wearing earrings, wearing body chains. And this was in 2012 when I started. And it was kind of a big it was it was a big moment for me to not only have the confidence to do something on my own, but to be like, yeah, I can do this. Like, I can run this business by myself uh, out of my 600 square foot apartment in Chicago with with my friend. And I remember her saying, this apartment is not big enough for your dreams. Uh, she was always, <laughs> you know, sitting in glitter or something because I had had all these wild ideas and just... I, I felt like I could do anything at that point. So what a great, I love that. It's <laughs> not big enough for your dreams. What, yep. a, what a truth, but yet like kind of like to, you know, kind of, you know, keep you going, push you right, and keep going. Right. At the same time. Well, she ended up moving with me to Atlanta and we had a three bedroom apartment and the third bedroom was for my business. So she was such a great friend and that she was like, yeah, well, let's move. Well, let's get you more space. And, and so she moved with me. So that was really cool. <laughs> So 
So you, you moved down to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. We know that you're in uh, Cleveland today. Yes. How long were you in Atlanta for? I was only in Atlanta for 14 months. I uh, okay. moved because, yeah, I needed more space. Atlanta was my Santa Fe, so to speak. That's always the place where, you know, where you're trying to get to. It's that, you know, oh, the weather is going to be better. It's going to be calmer. All, you kind of like idealize a place. And that was me with Atlanta. You know, I, I remember waiting for the bus in Chicago and you know that at that time there was like a, a app that you could I don't remember but it was like it was really slow you had to like text it and it would text you back and I was like where is this bus I'm freezing and so I just wanted to get out of Chicago just I was just tired of seven years of not having a car and being in the cold and and not having room and I wanted a different life so we were like yeah let's move to Atlanta it's going to be so much better at that time you know there was a lot of reality shows being filmed there and there was just so much going on or so it seemed. And then when we got there, it was so different from Chicago. The community feel that I felt from Chicago, like you would meet someone and they're like, oh, I'm a nail artist. You're a jewelry designer. Let's do a photo shoot together. I know this stylist. That was very Chicago. That did not mm-hmm. exist in Atlanta. People mm-hmm. would be like, why would I buy your handmade jewelry when I could get the, I could get this pair of hoops from China for, you know, three, I was like, well, mine's handmade. It's a, you know, and it was like, I was really having to explain things to people like that. And so I made some good friends, but I just didn't feel like I really fit in there. It's my first time living in the South. It was my first time living outside of the Midwest in general. So I just felt like it, it wasn't for me. And I had kind of spent all of my savings to move down there and I wasn't happy. And so my dad was like, you know what? it's okay to like admit that like that's this is not for you but if you want you can move back to Ohio which I had said at 18 I was never gonna do I in fact (laughs) told my parents to convert my bedroom into a man cave because I was never coming back (laughs) never so uh (laughs) so my dad was like, you know, you're not happy. There's no reason why you, and we were looking at houses. I remember we were looking at new places to move in Atlanta. And I remember getting in the car and me and my friend looked at each other and we just both started crying and we're like, I don't want to live in that house. And she was like, I don't either. Um, And so my, that conversation with my dad was like, you know, you can come back. And if you come back, you'll, you don't have to work a nine to five because you can live in our house and kind of get on your feet and try for once to run your business, just run your business and Mm. see what happens and not have to worry about rent. And I was like, you know what? I never thought at 26, I'd be living in my parents' basement, but I'm going to do it. And so we moved back to the Cleveland area. Like I said, my room had been converted to a man cave. So I (laughs) lived on a pullout couch (laughs) for six months until I finally was like, okay, my back is killing me. Can we please get a bed for this room? So we did eventually. But but yeah, I mean, I lived on a pullout couch while I and I, I had a studio space where I ran my business. And so that the rent that I paid was to have a studio space for ready to stare so I could yeah. have stock supplies and have inventory. Mm-hmm. And I, and I did that. And I was, it was very humbling, of course, to <laughs> live with my parents at that age, but it was definitely what I needed. And I have not worked a nine to five since I left Atlanta. Oh, wow. uh, That's yes. amazing. That was six years ago. Wow. I, I think about when I hear that, like, the love that your parents have for you for doing that is mm-hmm. it's just that has to be like the biggest gift that they could have given you because they not only they like recognize that you were unhappy 
figured out a way to get you, you know, to be in a happier place. Mm -hmm. And then to be able to give you the opportunity to say, we love you. We support you. We want you to embrace your dreams. We want you to, you know, take this idea, this concept, this business that you're building. We want you to to have the opportunity to create and and thrive. Mm-hmm. I I wish that, you know, for many people that that could be the story for everyone where they feel that support uh, or have that support system and I I just think that like I just want to meet your mom and dad and give them a hug. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, that's just how you. I feel because yeah. it just to know that they they were able to do that for you that is just like I don't know. I I think about parents and, you know, parenting and, you know, every now and then, you know, just looking at sort of experiences that we see with other people who have kids. And it's like, that really is the job of parents is mm-hmm. to, to love their kids and to support them and give them everything that they can to support their dreams, their desires and their wishes. I mean, obviously, if they're all with, you know, good intention, but I just, you know, I think, you know, hearing that it's just really great to to hear a lesson for all of us, you know, who are an influence in, you know, a child or, you know, a a teenager or a young adult's life. Yeah. I think that my parents' generation was raised very much like you get your degree, Mm -hmm. you get, you, you know, because their parents were, you know, more blue collar workers, their parents were immigrants. And, you know, there was my parents were the first ones in their family to get degrees. And uh, so it was very much like you get a degree, you get a job and you it doesn't matter if it's not your dream job and you work. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I am a true millennial and that I hate working a desk job. I (laughs) feel very confined by work hours. And Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I worked at Groupon when they were like booming, that was one of the jobs mm. I had out of college. So I know what it's like to work at, it was literally the, at the time, the fastest growing tech startup in the country. And, and I worked there at that time. So I knew what, I had a glimpse of that life and it, I knew it wasn't for me. And the, the same time that I quit Groupon to go to Atlanta, someone else quit to literally ride his bike from the uh, most northern point of Canada to the to all the way to South America. <laughs> like somebody else quit to like go move to LA and like write scripts. Like people, everybody there was like just true, like creatively stifled millennials. That was like who mm. Groupon attracted as people. So I have amazing friends from that time period. But but yeah, I mean, I knew I wanted to be in a creative field, and I was kind of like, yeah, I'll I'll live on a pullout couch rather than yeah. working at an ad agency or, or doing, you know, because I graduated in 2010 and that is when like, like I had an internship at the Chicago Tribune right after college, actually writing about Boys Town and Wrigleyville. That was my beat. And I had to be paid as an intern because the Tribune was bankrupt. And that's the only reason Mm. I was paid. And that's like, that was the climate of which I graduated with a journalism degree. So I kind of like, always had to be sort of scrappy and figure things out. And and that was not easy for my parents to understand. They were like, I don't get it. Like, why can't you just yeah. go to an office, get this job? But at the same time, they didn't get it and they supported it. And then, you know, as I became an influencer transitioning from designing to blogging and being an influencer, I remember, you know, my parents really didn't get that. But I remember specifically sitting down with my dad and him being like, so have you heard of this girl, Tess Holiday?" And I was like, dad, yeah, Tess Holiday is one of my friends. And he was like, really? And that was like the one moment where I was like, my dad kind of understands what I do. Yeah, (laughs) That was pretty funny. But 
but yeah, generally like they don't, they haven't always gotten it, but they understand that I'm passionate about it and that, you know, I'm really determined and, you know, it's, it's taken a long time. You know, I've never been driven by money. I've always been driven by passion mm. and, and purpose. And so, yeah, they've always like, even if they didn't understand it, they always kind of like, were like, yeah, let me, let's help you how we can. Yeah. It's the, it's definitely like the evolution of the workforce, right? Like, exactly. uh, yeah. like I could think of like, you know, my own, my grandparents to my parents to like where, you know, my generation and it's, mm -hmm. you know, there's just a very distinct difference, but it's also how the corporate world is set up, you know, back then, like your parents, my parents, like corporate world, you were set up, like you oh, were yeah. able to stay at a job for 30 years and move right. through around the pension? company. And What's you had that? Yeah. <laughs> $20,000. I mean, like nothing, you know what I mean? It was just right, right. totally different life. <laughs> yeah, it, it totally was. And I think <laughs> that it's important, especially like now that we just, the, the goals are different now. So mm -hmm. it's changing with the times. And I think, again, like go, like going back to your parents, like for your dad to like sit and do like a little bit of like, you know, research, right? To find out who Tess is and then all mm -hmm. of a sudden, to, you know, say to you, like, have do you know who this is? And then mm -hmm. it's just having them, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that it's so important for all of us and a reminder for all of us that you've got to kind of keep moving with the times. And mm -hmm. now, especially with, you know, what we've gone through in 2020 to sort of see how we come out of this, I think, you know, we're definitely going to see so much more, you know, remote working mm -hmm. and people sort of not necessarily being, understanding that you don't have to be chained to a desk or an office, mm -hmm. that you can go out into the world and experience working life in a different way. Yeah. yeah, that is so true. I remember I had a friend like around this time last year tell me, I don't know how you work from home or how you've mm -hmm. been working from home for these past five years. I could never do it. Well, guess what? She's been doing it you right. know like you, you you say you could never do it but you do what you have to do and and a lot of people can you know there are things that I that I liked about working in an office obviously the camaraderie is different and you know there are things about it that I obviously didn't like so I think you know it's it's good to be adjustable and uh, flexible I think that that is one of my true Italian traits Italian Americans mm. are very controlled but Italians are very flexible and go with the flow and that yep. is where I am a true Italian <laughs> <laughs> I think it's important for uh, sometimes when we see an entrepreneur on television or on social media to know the backstory of the six months when you were sleeping on the couch downstairs <laughs> in the basement. Yeah, like yeah. I'm standing on that. I'm standing on the shoulders of my parents and their immigrants. That their, their immigrant parents are, you know, that we all this chain of events. And I just have to call it one more time. Like ready to stare. What a great! I love a good title, and I don't think it's <laughs> any better than that. Yeah. So. Ready to Stare started off as a jewelry business, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was all inspired, you know, by that experience, walking across the street and me realizing when you are confident in, in who you are and, and, and what you're wearing, people will stare at you. And, and when they're staring, you give, you have the opportunity to change how they think. And maybe by someone seeing you wearing something bold, they might think, yeah, I could do that too. Or yeah, you know, that plus size person, they, they can wear that or, or that male presenting person can wear a skirt, you know? So it mm -hmm. was really all about making, you know, at the time fashion more inclusive and my, brand has since expanded to include other things beyond fashion. But at first it really started as, you know, I don't see myself represented in the fashion industry and I, I want to change that. You do this as seen on, on you section. Mm -hmm. um, 
And can we talk about that a little bit, what that is? Sure. So one of my favorite things when I was designing, you know, my favorite thing was creating the product from a sketch and then seeing it on someone was my absolute favorite thing. And when I transitioned away from designing into blogging, you know, my aunt was a huge mentor of mine. She's also an amazing businesswoman. She sat me down and she's like, what do you like about designing? And I was like, I like creating and I like seeing it on someone. Step one and step 10, step two through nine, I could really do without. And she was like, you can get that same like joy from blogging. You can make a recommendation and then see someone wear it. And that will, I, she's like, I bet that will bring you the same. But this is like, again, someone in my parents' generation, like pretty cool that she understood that, you mm-hmm. know, like kind of how social media works in that way. And she was like, I bet you can get that same feeling. And so that's where the, as seen on you, uh, story, it's a story highlight on my Instagram. So when I wear something or I recommend something and then someone buys it because they saw it on me, I share it. And I think that that is really helpful for people to see not to see how it looks on one another person and for people to see like yeah that's that's actually extremely valuable to me and it helps me know like what you want to see more of like okay you liked that sequin dress i'm gonna look for more sequin dresses or or, you know like Mm -hmm. and the most absolute validating thing is when people tell me like hey i just wanted to let you know and they always say you probably won't read this and i'm like okay i I try to read everything so yes i will (laughs) you probably won't read this but um, you know, because of you, I I live in, I just remember this one very distinctly. I live in Arizona and it's always over a hundred degrees, but I, I always hated my arms. And so I would always wear long sleeves. But because of you this summer, I did this big event and I was on stage and I had a sleeveless shirt on and I was like, oh, I started crying, you know, and it's like, and then, you know, now uh, since coming out on my platform, I, I get even more comments that are like, you know, I'm getting married and I just, you know, I want to wear a bikini with my wife, you know, on our honeymoon. And, and I did it because of you, you know, and mm. like, I don't have, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, if you will, I don't have employees or anything. My audience, that is, that's my boss. That's my customer. Mm. That's, that's my lifeblood. And so I keep a folder of these messages on my phone in an album called The Feels. Uh, mm. And uh, I read The Feels when I feel like, oh, why am I doing this? Or, or, you know, you know, when I'm getting a lot of hate for something, uh, you know, lots of trolls. Yeah, which I still get, mm. unfortunately. And I'll, I'll read The Feels because that's why I do this, you know, so as seen on you is, is a tribute to, you know, I call them my ready to stereos. Um, it's a tribute to, to everyone in my community that has maybe f- stepped out of their box or worn something that they wouldn't have because they're part of this community. So that's, that's why I, absolutely why I do what I do. It, that is the, my driving force um, is to make people feel good about themselves and, and do things and not only wear things, but now travel places they wouldn't have and, and do yeah. things they wouldn't have done. So. Yeah, it's uh, I really I find that the, as my life has progressed is that I'm really drawn to people that when they figure out a way to maybe get over a hurdle through their self acceptance, love, fashion, and then the people that really spark my that I gravitate to are the ones that then share that with other people, that the service that they do, and and you know, that's then that's really what this you know that why part of the reason why we wanted to, to sit down and talk with you is because mm-hmm. we so appreciate the service that you do and how well you do it and just and how you have fun in, in the way you do it as well too. That's a Thank gift. You. Thank you. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's taken a, 
a long time because I really went on this journey of self-love in front of everyone. You know, I already had a platform. Ready to Stare was already a platform by the time I started, you know, taking those those selfies and and putting myself, uh, I would just, the first campaign I ever modeled for was a t-shirt, my very first t-shirt campaign. And yeah, I already had a, I had a thousand followers at that time. And by the end of the year, I went to 10,000 um, all mm. by switching my strategy of including myself in the content more. And it did wasn't anything fancy at first. It was, you know, I, when I lived in Atlanta, I had a job I really hated, an uh, office mm. job. And, and I just, there was an amazing full length mirror in the, in the bathroom. And so I, I, I took a selfie in that mirror one day and I shared it and I was like, you know what, this is what I'm going to look forward to every day. And so I mm-hmm. would dress, I, I would spend time putting together an outfit I liked and I would, I would take a picture in that mirror and I'd share it on my Instagram. And that literally <laughs> catapulted those mirror mm-hmm. selfies catapulted me from 1k to 10k and not like numbers or everything, but, but it showed that there was something that people wanted to see, you know, they wanted to see my yeah. outfits, even the, there wasn't, you know, I think we, it's so easy for us to compare ourselves like, oh, I don't have the the budget that this person has or the, the creativity or the photographer or the equipment and, all, and you, you don't have to have all that. You just really have to be yourself and be comfortable sharing that, whether yeah. that means good feedback or bad. Right. And, and, and it's interesting. I'm hearing what you're saying and this all makes sense right now because Ready to Stare became so much more. It became a plus size fashion blog. It became about travel. It became about LGBTQ resources. And then it also like wonderful, beautiful things like you shared your wedding. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that was uh, definitely unexpected. <laughs> you know, I was planning on, you know, I was living in Ohio. When I moved to Ohio from Atlanta, I was like, okay, I'm going to get on my feet. I'm going to move to New York. Mm-hmm. And that didn't, that was what I was really planning to do the whole year of 2017. I was going back and forth from Ohio to New York, looking in different neighborhoods. And I was like, this is it. I got to be in New York. If I want to be a top plus size blogger, all the top plus size bloggers are in New York. So this is where I got to be. And then in October of that year, I met my now husband and I did not go anywhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's not to say that, you know, I think New York was, again, like an idealized version of, of what I wanted from my life. And, and meeting uh, my husband, Gio, really made me realize like there's work to be done in Ohio, especially in terms of LGBTQ advocacy. And I, I had just actually come out publicly on my page in October of 2017. So I came out publicly and then, uh, yeah, be started dating this amazing uh, advocate <laughs> in the community. Mm. And so I definitely learned a lot from him. He runs his own nonprofit for trans youth called uh, Meta Center Inc. Uh, he's a legal advocacy uh, organizer for a legal nonprofit here in Ohio. So had uh, such great uh, teacher in terms of learning about LGBTQ issues. And obviously I had an academic background in it already from my gender mm-hmm. studies, but meeting Geo showed me a little bit more about some of the lived experiences that you can't learn about in a book, you know? So um, mm-hmm. he, that was extremely invaluable to me. I was uh, reading uh, just a little bit on your blog about your wedding. And mm-hmm. so part of the reason why that I sort of gravitate to that is because for 14 or 15 years, I've been in the wedding and event you know, planning oh, uh, industry. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and that's, that's, you know, my quote unquote day job. <laughs> so, okay. uh, but, but running that, you know, wedding planning business for so long and myself being very much an advocate, you know, in 2012, 2013, 2014 for marriage equality, mm-hmm. you know, passing and 
I was reading, I was reading your blog, the wedding section, and then like looking through the comments and just seeing like all of the the joy that you bring to people that that brought just sharing mm-hmm. the photos and sharing the story. I think it's one of those things that I, I think we don't share. We, we don't, there's sort of this idea that we have in our head of what a wedding should look like or what mm-hmm. the couple, you know, should look like. Right. And I guess over the last, you know, couple of years, I've really sort of taken a look at our company and really looking at like the couples that we work with, looking at the team we have and really just seeing like the diversity within mm-hmm. our own within our own company and then also the clients that we attract. You know, they're just like kind of like, you know, how your teacher wrote or drew that line, just sort of mm-hmm. like it's fluidity. It's like it's like all over the board. And I think it's important for us to all be able to have, you know, the imagery of happiness of people who are, you know, like us, different from us to see that. And I think that in reading those, reading the comments from, you know, your, your readers, it just, it just really goes to show how we can't not, it's so important for us to share those experiences and those, you know, the images and to be able to to stand up and say, hey, we're all here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think over the last, you know, over I, over the last five years, we've really seen a lot of progress mm-hmm. in what that looks like. And I think it's just exciting to sort of see where we're gonna go after after this. But I think reading, reading, you know, your blog, it really it really inspires, I think, in a lot of different ways on a lot of levels. And I think that there's people like all of us who maybe six or seven years ago didn't even imagine that they would get married one day. Mm-hmm. And that I was think me. for you, yeah. right? I mean, that was, I know that was me too. I never mm-hmm. thought that that was even an option. Mm-hmm. So I, I just applaud you being able to share your wedding and your story, you know, outwardly because it really does inspire people to to say, hey, you know, yeah, we can. This is this is what we fought for. This is what we stood up for. And now we're here and now we can, you know, share that happiness with the person that we love. So Yeah, I think that, you know, we when we got we got engaged at uh the Philadelphia Trans Wellness Conference where Gio was a speaker and he proposed to me in front of the love sign in Philly and mm-hmm. <laughs> we I, I knew I wanted a big proposal. I certainly didn't think it would be coming when it did. I was very surprised. And our friends were there and they took a video and, and you can hear people in the video, strangers saying, congratulations. And, and someone even stopped and was like, hey, I took pictures on my phone. I'll send them to you. <laughs> and when I shared that on my platform, I mean, the response was wild. And, you know, people were just so happy for us. And I do get a lot of, you know, there's no way to to quantify, you know, identity. That's not something that's asked in any of the demographic surveys on, on Instagram or anything like that. But I know from hearing from my followers that there are a lot of people who follow me who are who are maybe identify as queer by the way that that I do and are in a relationship with a trans person and and they might feel like you know that that they're not really seen as they're not represented as much as the community the the dominant imagery that we have of the community is still you know 
more cishet white guy, thin white guys, and and mm-hmm. and we're starting to see some, you know, thin white lesbians. But you know, we're not. We don't see couples that look like Gio and I. And um, and I think it's that's what my my audience. Uh, there are people who have messaged me, and you know, I'm I'm in a relationship like yours, and thank you so much for sharing. And then there's other followers who have been following me since you know 2012, and are like, thank mm-hmm. you for educating me about about LGBTQ issues, and, and you know, I. I, I want to be better and learn more. And, and so it, it really runs runs the gamut. And, you know, it's definitely not easy to, to put your life out there in something so personal as, as a wedding. And, uh, you know, there are things I probably wouldn't share about as intimate a details as maybe I did in the process. But overall, I'm so glad that, you know, we were, we were able to share a lot of our experience between, um, you know, dress shopping, that was extremely mm. emotional uh, as a plus yeah. size person, not being able to really, I had a breakdown and I was like, I don't know if I'm really going to find what I really want. I just don't think it exists in my size. And that's like really hard, you know? Um, and so I had those moments and, uh, you know, there's all, always, we went to an LGBTQ bridal expo and I'm just like, mm. you know, you have to think in your head, are people going to wonder why we're here? And, yeah. you know, are people going to look at us and think, oh, you are a cishet couple. Why are you here? Um, and yeah. so there's all that internalized judgment from the community as well. And so I know that I worry about that. And I, I wish I didn't have to. But, you know, I just want to send my a message to all my queer or bi folks like you're valid no matter who you're in a relationship with. Like your identity is still valid. So uh, those feelings definitely came up planning, yeah. planning a wedding, yeah. Yeah. you know, because people want the LGBTQ representation that looks LGBTQ, which is LNG. <laughs> yeah. But you know, but you know what? It's shifting so yeah. quickly now. Uh, you know, even we were talking about when you were in Chicago, the neighborhood used to be called Boys Town. Mm-hmm. And now it's officially changed to North Halstead to be oh, more inclusive. I love that. Yeah. I didn't know that. Okay, that's yeah. great. Yeah, I used to live in Boys Town and go out in Boys Town. And I mean, even though I was always in male-dominated spaces, there was something about being there that felt comforting, you know, yeah. but uh, yeah. I was, I was wondering where does this exist for women like me? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, obviously I would go out in Andersonville and some of the other places, but it just never felt the same as, as Boys Town yeah. did. So I'm well, glad well, that they're making it more inclusive. Yeah. And, and you know what, and we talked about earlier about ready to stare and how I love a good title. I mean, titles mm-hmm. matter, right? So yes. Boys Town. And the thing is, is it, and I, and I understand like, and I've had general conversations with, with friends and people that have specifically with talk out loud because we we have a lgbtqia mm-hmm. and and that was a, a coming of age for us where like i have a friend who's intersexed and they told me about why it matters and and i've been the, and i'm going to be, be quite honest like i've been the guy you know a couple of years ago that was like why do we keep having to add alphabets to it mm-hmm. and, and and what there was it was there, there was maybe a fear that my message was being diluted as a gay man right so mm-hmm. there, there was fear there right and and there's, there, there's this earth is big enough for all of us exactly um, yeah. in, in me intolerance i and i just i can't speak for anyone else but i know that as i, I continue to grow and and when i watch out for that fear to trigger mm-hmm. that fear, fear triggers my intolerance right, right. so the more that we can have experiences with, you know, you being out there with the person who's getting engaged in front of the sign and, and witness the love between those two people, obviously there's self-care and self-love where there's some things we keep to ourselves because unfortunately there's other people that 
like ourselves, can sometimes be sick by fear and say things that are hurtful and harmful that control. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's, there's, there's a balance there, right? And we could probably talk about a whole episode about that. But really, uh, to change hearts and minds, I find, is through just real life experiences. Yes. And whether that's through social media, whether that's through, the, you know, what you're, the work you're doing in Ohio, where I just really, uh, being of someone who was born in Ohio, I, I commend you mm-hmm. and appreciate the work that you, that you and your husband are both doing there. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. I I remember when we, uh, so we, our videographer, I'm not sure if you watched our uh, wedding documentary, which is on YouTube, but our the videographer that we worked with, he met us when Gio was receiving an award uh, from Equality Ohio as the advocate of the year. And he said, I want to tell your story. I don't know if you have a videographer for your wedding, but I want to do a documentary about you because you are going to change hearts and minds like you are going to change hearts and minds just by being who you are and that that's you know a big reason why we decided to not do a traditional wedding video our video includes interviews from like 23 members of our families uh, all the way from uh geo's five-year-old niece to his 91-year-old great-grandmother. So there is uh, so much love around us and just getting to see how, you know, everybody reacted. It it touches a little bit on our, our, on our journeys as LGBTQ folks and, and then also our wedding process. So if there's one thing you watch, I would say that's definitely recommended. I love, I love that video. It's great to watch. Yeah. We'll definitely include the link to that in the show notes in your episode profile. So anyone who's listening, they can, you know, check that out and see that. I think, you know, just kind of adding to this, you know, conversation, it's so important that we just be ourselves. And I think, you know, like Elise, you said it earlier, is that, you know, you had to do the work to be comfortable, to feel, to get to know who you are and then feel sort of comfortable who you are so that you're able to, you were able to come out and have these experiences and be this entrepreneur and, you know, strong, you know, a female figure and meet Gio and fall in love and, you know, share that experience. It comes up, I think, often in conversation, sometimes on the show where we, without that representation or without having, getting to know people just on a human level, taking all the labels away and all the other stuff away, not being able to have that, you you never get the opportunity to get to know a person. So Mm -hmm. when you have that space, you know, and, you know, we all have a broadcast, you know, device in our pockets these days. So being able to be honest and open in who you are, then you're able to start changing, you know, hearts and minds. Mm-hmm. I, I I just remember, you know, being 19, 20, 21, whatever it was, sort of, you know, coming out, being, you know, in then Boys Town and seeing transgender women out mm-hmm. in the bars and not understanding what that was because no one talked about, like, no, there was no conversation. There was no dialogue around mm-hmm. it. And I think now it's like, well, it's just so easy and it makes sense because there is conversation, there is right. dialogue, and there's there's just a real importance, I think, for all of us as uh, a community to, you know, keep having these conversations and like you said, like having to go to that expo, you know, just feeling like, are you being judged? And mm-hmm. why are they looking at you differently? And almost like a sense of do you have to come out to every vendor that you walk up to that right. booth? Like, you know, but to get us to a point where 
we can add as many letters as we have to, you know, <laughs> after mm-hmm. LGBTQIA, whatever it is. And also to not have to, to feel that way, which obviously is going to take more work. But I think, you know, looking at the, the movement and looking at the trajectory of how far we've come in such a short amount of time, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to continue, you know, to do that in order to really make everyone in the community feel comfortable and feel welcome because we are a community and that's what we're supposed to be doing for, you know, ourselves and for one another. Yeah. And I think it's important to, you know, really think about we're a community, but, you know, we're, we represent different identities. So it's not, we are united under the fact that, you know, we, our love is, is, maybe different at this point than still the mainstream norm of of heterosexuality. So we're united uh, uh, under that, but yet that is maybe only the one thing we have in common. And so there is more work that is required of us in the LGBTQ community to understand what other people in the community go through. And that isn't just, I identify as queer, so it's important for me to understand what it's like to live as a trans person, not just that, but the intersectionality. So I identify as a white queer person, so it's important for me to understand what a black trans woman goes through. I'm a plus size person. So what does someone who's, who's straight size, you know, go through or, you know, understanding, understanding all of the, someone who uh, has disabilities, what are they, uh, they're identify as queer and, and they are a wheelchair user. What do they go through in this community? So I think it's really, really important. I think these converse, I agree with you, especially, you know, going out in Boys Town, it really, you, you didn't see a lot of, diverse representation. But I think that that was always there. It was just happening in different places and the conversations were just really divided. And now I think there is a lot more effort to kind of listen. And those who have maybe been more dominant in the conversation are are listening more. And -hmm. and that's that's what we need is just, we have to do the work. We don't have the lived experience of, Mm -hmm. of all of us understanding. Yes, we all maybe have a coming out experience, right? That's maybe something we all share in common but there's a but there's so many layers to to our identities that yeah we ha- as a community we have to listen to each other work hard at understanding the other identities so that we're never you know i i totally understand that well why do we need this letter yeah we hear that all the time but you know we yeah. it's important for us like you said you met someone and that changed you had a friend and that changed your mind that's that's what we need to do is we need to be listening and looking outside of the people who who look like us and who share our experience you know i love a a queer meme as much as the rest of of you you know i love being like yes that fits for me you know i me and my friend were talking about you know getting your chapstick in your head and we were you know laughing we love sh- laughing at these shared experiences that we do have with maybe our letter right in the community but mm-hmm. i want to i want to understand what other, what the uh, maybe i don't understand on a personal level but i still need to know i need to know what yeah. you're going through and what you're experiencing so i think it's really important and 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 coming out it's you want to find your part of the how you fit in the community so it might not feel as important when you're first coming out to understand what everybody else is going through but certainly that is something that we all need to be striving for. If we really want to be advocates of change, especially because laws affect us differently. So, you know, a lot of, I remember posting like gay marriage was never the largest issue facing the LGBTQ community and people did not like that. 
because for some people that was the only right that they didn't have. And I'm like, that was never the only right that we didn't have. We still don't have rights. They just changed it in Ohio. and We were the second to last state. So now there's only one where you could not amend your gender marker on your birth certificate. So if you were trans, your birth certificate was never going to match your identity. And that's that's not okay. So how you can't tell me that that is not like yes, I understand yeah. that marriage comes with a lot of rights, but you need to that wasn't the that wasn't the first and last victory. You know, there's still so many legal things and you know, with the work that my husband does, I hear about it every day. There's some, you know, anti-trans sports bill or uh, yeah. you know, this bill where this person was fired for for being trans and we're still we're here this is that is happening every day for as many you know, the cakes being denied for the gay cup for as many of those, yeah. there's plenty more that are not making the news that are affecting LGBTQ lives. So I think it's really important that we recognize that like what affects you personally is not the be all end all of what's affecting the community. Yeah. So it's really important to, to get out and understand the issues because yeah. we're part of this community. It's all of us. It's on all of us. Yep, exactly. I, and it's it's what it really is. It's important is if there isn't something that's directly affecting you, to, but maybe affecting somebody else within the community mm-hmm. that don't turn your back on it, you need exactly. to get involved. You need to educate yourself. You need to learn about it. I, just even, you know, in the past year in 2020 with, you know, all of the, I don't want to get you know, too political here, but with, you know, this administration that we had just all of the, you know, backlash onto the trans community and Mm -hmm. what that did and, you know, taking, taking a stance and being public about it. And, you know, just on, you know, I know for myself, it was anytime there was something that was going against the trans community, I made sure that I was sharing it on social media because Mm -hmm. I know that the people who I followed that, there are people who supported that administration and ha- like having to show them like here, like this is, this is why I dis- this is one of the reasons, many reasons mm-hmm. why I d- right. disagree <laughs> with them. But like, you know, you need to see this because this mm-hmm. is maybe not going to be shared in the mainstream media. So, and then of course, you know, having those conversations, you know, here on Talk Out Loud, having the conversations with family and friends about you know, why it's important to support, you know, that the movement as a whole. So there's, you're, I totally agree with you. There's just so many different layers, you know, to this. And I think it's just really important to, you know, stay engaged, stay involved and like know that this is where we are. And as much as I think so many of us would like to just be able to sort of like sit back and say, yep, we got all of our rights. Mm-hmm. We, that's not really true. And no. You know, if you look at it on a global level, like there's places where we can't travel to because yeah. we can be killed for being who we are. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that's just like a whole nother conversation. But Yeah, so um, that's, that is, yeah, there's still 71 countries, I believe, where it's uh, not legal to be LGBTQ. So that's, I mean, that's a big part of it's yeah. a big chunk of the yeah. world where you cannot be free to be who you are. Um, and I do get messages. I live in this country and I'm gay and, you know, what can you do? And it's really hard because I don't, yeah. I don't know what to say as much as just, you know, who you are. It's who you are is amazing. And, um, you know, is there any, and I try to look up, lo- I do this all the time as I try to look up like locals, support resources for people and just try to help as much as you can. But yeah, it's definitely, it can feel very overwhelming. And yeah, you're so, 
so right that can be easy to get stuck in or just our bubble of like, yeah, yeah. Well, it doesn't affect me. Okay. But it it's that doesn't make it not important and not something that mm. we as a community need to care about. Yeah. Yeah. The word the when the word you use is is I think uh, you've used and Anthony's used is is we. And mm-hmm. what we can do is the multiplier effect on that is endless, you know? Yes, um, exactly. So, and what we focus on grows, you know, at least my personal belief. So uh, that uh, when we get to listen to other people, we get to figure out better ways to solve the problems. So yeah. yeah active, you active, don't active know listening. what you don't know, you know? And yeah, I, I think yep. I've seen a lot of people and there's a way to, to, to kind of like, nudge people. I know there's been things where people have told me, you know, Hey, I don't know if you know this, but this, you know, X, Y, Z, I remember I had, there's a influencer that I'm friends with who, you know, I know she's an LGBTQ ally and she made a post that said women who bleed are powerful or something like that. And I was like, well, uh, Hey, love you. But all people, there are people of all genders who, who bleed and who have periods and she changed the language. And I appreciated that so much. And and sometimes it's just as simple as that, you know, that, that if that person, whether they're trans or non-binary, who sees that and feels included, that matters, you know, the language that we use really matters. And and, and it can be as easy as sending a DM to someone and being like, Hey, I, I, you know, I'm not sure if you, if you know this, but this language, you know, I know you didn't do it on purpose, uh, but you know, it's not inclusive and people for the most part, you know, they'd listen. And, and I know for me, I, I want to know how I can be more inclusive. Right. So I, I like that social media has really, I think it has done, obviously we've seen, uh, again, not to be political, we've seen how social media can go so wrong and kind of rally people up in the wrong ways, but it can also really unite people and educate yeah. people and, yeah. and connect people with people that are like them. You know, if I had not discovered the plus size community, uh, you know, across the world, I don't think I would be here. You know, I didn't have any local plus size friends or anything like that. It was all online. So that changed my life for sure. Yeah. Well, at least I can uh, honestly say you have uh, changed our lives and made them uh, more of a happy, beautiful place. Thank Uh, you. Yeah. And I just wanted to say just to to everyone who's listening, Ready to Stare features everything from style, travel, lifestyle, wonderful resources that at least will, you know, help connect you with. I cannot say enough about just uh, how uh, happy we are to have you on the show and be able to share the work that you're doing with some of our listeners. So thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you so much. This was such an amazing conversation and I, I really got to share so much more about my life than I ever usually do. So this is really valuable for me and I appreciate you creating this platform. Yeah, we really appreciate you being here today. So thank you so much, Lise. Thanks, Thanks Lise. Elise's journey is one that's not only inspiring, but one that will make you smile. To learn more about Elise and the work she's doing, you can visit our website at www.talkoutloudlive.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk Out Loud. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe, rate us, and share with a friend. You can also follow us on social media at Talk Out Loud Live. If you or someone you know has an inspirational story and a member of the LGBTQIA community, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us on our website at www.talkoutloudlive.com. You can also get your official Talk Out Loud gear in our online store. Thanks again for listening, and remember to be true, be you, and to talk out loud. <laughs>